For WCYB Digital Radio, I'm Melissa O'Leary. Joining me today is Marjorie Bloom, who lost $661,000 to a crypto scam, her life savings. Marjorie, welcome. Hi. Well, thank you for sharing your story. From my research, I kind of see that you're a career civil servant, and it doesn't look like you fit the profile of somebody that would be easily defrauded in this way. So my first question is, how did the criminal on the other end of this convince you to move forward with transferring your life savings to crypto? That's a long story. I was doing research on my computer. I was using, I guess, Google, and I was researching school board elections, actually. And suddenly my whole monitor sort of flashed in different reds and oranges and said, you've been attacked by some virus and you can't move forward with your computer. You need to call this number. And, you know, we're all the same. We all just want to do what we need to do and do it in a hurry. So I was exasperated. So I closed my monitor and I opened it up and it was still there. What I, of course, didn't think about was rebooting, which of course was the answer to reboot, but I just wasn't thinking of that. So I called the number and a fellow pretending to be a Microsoft engineer said, yes, your computer has been attacked by a virus. Let me look into it. And he leaves me for a few minutes. He comes back and he said, yes, it's a virus. And we can see that it's coming from Russia. He said, this is probably pretty serious for you. Do you have bank accounts? And I said, yes. And at this point, I am guileless. He has me in his clutches almost from the beginning. And he said, well, if you have bank accounts, you should check to make sure that they are secure. He said, if you want to give me the name of your bank, I can connect you to the bank's fraud section. So I said, all right. I gave him the name of my bank. He connected me, he said, through a air quote here, secure line. And another man picked up the phone and said that he was with my bank's fraud section. What was I calling about? So I explained the situation and I said, I need to check to make sure my accounts are safe. I did not give out my social security number and I did not give him my bank account numbers, but I did give him my name. And presumably through my name, he was able to check my accounts and came back and said, yes, there are thousands of dollars of charges on your account. And what you need to do is work with us and work with Microsoft Engineer, get the virus off your account in order that you can proceed safely with both your bank accounts and any online accounts you have. And so that's what began an odyssey of a month. This Microsoft Engineer pretended that he was working on my computer for a month. He convinced me to put a software on my desktop that allowed him to dial into my computer. And that went on five days a week for a month. And every so often, he would switch me back to the fellow at the bank who wanted to make sure that everything was proceeding on pace and that I was doing okay with the Microsoft engineer. And the engineer made these comments about how he's working on my laptop. And I would say, well, how long is this going to take? And he said, you know, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And then he would say, I'm going to go offline for a few minutes. I have meetings with my supervisor. And I was just as gullible as can be. He said, you can't tell anybody because we don't know 
who has attacked your computer. And if you tell somebody, it's not so much maybe that they didn't do it, but they may tell somebody who did do it. So he said, it's very important not to tell anybody. So again, I was thoroughly gullible. I didn't tell my children. I have three very savvy adult children. I never said a word. I never said a word to any friends. And I just kept it very personal, very private. One time I had a Zoom call that was to the Netherlands. And I checked in and I said, well, can I do this Zoom call on my computer? And they said, no, you know, you better not. You better use somebody else's computer for that. And so I used somebody else's computer and made up this story about how my computer was out of commission. And then during the course of this, I was convinced that because these people who had attacked my computer had my social security number, I was convinced to transfer my funds through the fellow at the bank who was going to put them into a cryptocurrency account until my computer was completely cleaned. And so that's what I did. I was very hesitant. And I thought about it for a long time, a long time, a couple of days, finally decided I would do it. I cashed out an annuity that was worth almost $300,000 that I had been saving in. You know, I had set it up 10 years previously. And this was the year that I was going to start pulling money out of it. And I had a very modest stock portfolio that was an inheritance from my parents. And I ended up cashing that out as well and wouldn't talk to anybody. I mean, the financial advisor in regard to this portfolio was not only my advisor, he was a friend. And he kept saying, what are you doing, Marge? And I wouldn't talk to him. And finally, he just followed my instructions and cashed out the portfolio. And all this money was transferred through my bank by wire transfers to these fraudsters. And it was $661,000. I just didn't understand. For instance, they said, don't worry about any bank charges. We'll take care of that. And I said, well, why are you going to take care of my bank charges? They said, well, we have this arrangement with the bank that under these circumstances, when people are being defrauded, we will cover their bank charges in order to get their money into a safe cryptocurrency account until their accounts can be deemed safe enough to transfer the assets back into their bank accounts. This went on for a month. And finally, the day that I was supposed to finally talk to the supervisor and get my funds transferred back, the telephone number I had always called was disconnected. And it was as though I was in a bubble and somebody had taken a hammer and cracked the bubble open. And suddenly I understood. Marjorie, you definitely kind of mentioned that you felt gullible as you were going through this process. And I think what we observe is that these fraudsters are just so sophisticated and so believable that it's not necessarily a person like yourself being gullible. It's more, you know, you being taken advantage of by a criminal. So what are some of the aspects of the operation that you encountered that felt just so real and made you decide to kind of continue with the fraud? Everybody always gives you advice that you shouldn't give out your social security number, which is the kind of fraud that we're all accustomed to looking for. What I didn't expect was to be attacked through the monitor of my computer. 
And I was so taken by their explanation that a virus had attacked my computer that I just was hoodwinked. It was like being kidnapped. It's like somebody had put a bag over my head. And then when this fraudster offered to connect me with my bank, it was a very convincing move to me. I have to say, I had a friend also in the house who saw this going on, and he too didn't think twice about the legitimacy of what was happening. So it's, as you said, very sophisticated, very smooth, very articulate, and totally convincing. You described being in this bubble that kind of cracked when you found out that the number was disconnected. And it sounds like from there, you went to law enforcement and perhaps the FBI. What was your experience like there? Well, the FBI had seen this before. As I mentioned, there was an identical case in LA and another case in California. So they were aware of the scam and they were aware of the contours and the scam. And they had a unit set up that presumably was trying to investigate and find the fraudsters. After I realized what had happened and I talked to my children, I have an older son who is in cryptocurrency and he had a contact in England who was a cryptocurrency detective. And I had enough of the information about my account numbers that he was able to go online and see that my money had been transferred to Binance, which is a crypto platform in the Caymans. That is what motivated me to try and get a hold of a FBI agent who could help me specifically, because it seemed as if the FBI could put a stop order of some nature and advise Binance that they were dealing with fraudulent funds that they would cooperate. And actually, my son called Binance and tried to convince them to put a hold on the funds. Binance wouldn't talk to my son and said they would only talk to the FBI. I don't know that the FBI ever got any kind of legal process served on Binance because, like the rest of us, you know, the agent had to go up through his supervisor. And I suspect that by the time any kind of legal process, I don't know whether it's a stop order or a subpoena, not a subpoena, but whatever they could possibly serve on Binance, probably the funds were long gone by then. In addition to which, Binance is in the Caymans. And as the FBI explained to me, they have no legal jurisdiction over the Caymans. They don't have to listen to anybody from the United States. It's just, you know, in a matter of comedy if they wanted to. And it wasn't to their advantage, I guess, to do so. So I felt that I had very little recourse. But I did feel that these funds were transferred from my bank account through wire transfers at my bank to a bank in New York. And from New York, the money transferred to Coinbase in California. And from Coinbase, it went into a cryptocurrency fund, as I understand it. I mean, I could see that some of the money had gone to Binance, but I didn't know how much. And I couldn't track the owner, obviously, which is part of cryptocurrency. But it did seem to me that the bank that I was dealing with was negligent because as a federal employee, I had a very modest salary that came into my bank account every two weeks. I was never dealing in wire transfers that were in the high five figures, high six figures. 
And it seemed to me that the bank must have had some kind of algorithms, some kind of computer program that should have set off an alarm. I mean, if we overdraw our bank account by $25, immediately you get a note from the bank, you're overdrawn by $25. Well, by the same token, the bank could see I was sending out my first wire was $26,000. That was the cash I had in my savings account. And the second wire, the fraudster said, you know, don't wire too much money in one wire. Break it up into pieces. So I think the second wire was $75,000. And the third wire was $100,000. And then there was another wire that was for $50,000. There were six wires in a 28-day period that were huge amounts of money for a government employee to be dealing with. And why no one at the bank took notice of it. And no one did. Each wire was conducted in person in the bank, and nobody questioned it. Everybody just executed the wire as it could be. So I thought that the bank should have at least taken notice of it and at least asked me what was happening. I mean, why am I dealing with such large amounts of money and where were they going? And do I know who they're going to? And when you tried to seek a remedy to this, what was the response from the bank? I first sent a letter to the bank and set out all the facts and said, I deserve some remedy here. And they were very polite, but they said, you executed a wire and we executed it according to your instructions. We're not liable for anything. So I hired counsel and we did file a complaint against the bank and it was litigated to some extent. And then the bank and I reached a settlement, of course, through my attorney. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you didn't take no for an answer. You know, it's very hard. First, it was very hard to find an attorney who thought I had a cause of action. Everybody thought, as the bank said, you asked them to execute a wire and they executed a wire. But actually, under, I think it's Article 3 of the UCC, you know, the bank has some obligation of good faith to act like a bank should act under circumstances, under those circumstances. You know, all these banks, because of the Bank Secrecy Act, they all have internal protocols where their employees are supposed to talk to the people who are sitting in front of them, take a special notice of people who are elderly, take notice of large sums of money, take notice of large sums of money that are whole numbers, like $50,000, make sure that they're talking to other family members. I mean, there's a whole string of protocols that these employees are trained on and that they're taught to observe. And yet, as a victim, you're not allowed to take action against the bank for failure to act on their own internal procedures. There's no legally cognizant cause of action for failure to adhere to internal procedures. I actually wrote my congressman and I said, you know, there should be a change in the law. The law is way behind the practice of the criminals. I mean, that's essentially what we're seeing. Absolutely. As my story has gotten around, I have heard from people who have had the same experience and have had no remedy from their bank. So my bank was especially cooperative. One of the consequences of this, ironically, is that because I had cashed out all these assets, my tax liability for that year was enormous. And I had to pay capital gains tax on it all. So 
not only did I have to pay for counsel, but I incurred this tax liability. So, you know, (laughs) seemed to get penalized from every angle. Oh, my goodness. One of the things that resonates for me is your relationship with your kids and how they came in to assist you when they learned of the fraud. I'm about your kids' age, and it can be challenging to know how to step in on your parents' personal lives as they age. What can children do to help their parents and grandparents proactively or after something like this happens? There is a program, and I think it's through the bank, where you can identify a child or a good friend that the bank can contact if they see irregular banking activity, which I thought was, of course, for me, you know, the horse was out of the barn, but is a good idea. I frankly would encourage anybody if they're caught in a situation and they're told, you know, that utter secrecy is what you have to do. I would talk to your children or your spouse or, you know, your significant other nonetheless. There really is no secret that you can't share with them. You should share with them because if they were much more clear-headed about it than I was, as soon as they heard about it, they knew immediately that it was a scam. And not only because they're younger, maybe they're more attuned to it, but just because they were in a different posture, they could bring a different perspective on it. They didn't have the cloud over their head that I had over my head. No time were they mad or critical or harsh. I mean, hardest part about losing all this money is it's money I really wanted to leave my children as an inheritance, as my parents had left me some money. And it wasn't necessarily a lot of money, but it was enough to make a little difference. And the little difference made a big difference. And I just really wanted to do that for my own children. I don't know that I'll be able to do it now. And that's the hardest part for me. But I would encourage everybody to talk to their children. There's nothing like family. And this is really when you should rely on your family for clear-headed advice. That would be my bottom line. (laughs) Also, not to get stuck to reboot your computer. (laughs) Instead of just closing your monitor, reboot your computer. You know, that's what the help desk always says. You have any problems, reboot your computer. Well, I should have remembered to reboot the computer. Next time. That's a great point. (laughs) It's just such a pleasure to speak with you. And it's just a terrible crime to fall victim to. The losses are, you know, not only the loss of the funds, but as you said, the loss of an ability to provide a little bit of a legacy to your family. And do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Just be careful. (laughs) Be reasonable. You know, my mother always said, if in doubt, don't. (laughs) And Unfortunately, at the wrong time, I forgot that. But I'll pass on my mother's wise advice. If you're in doubt, don't do it. That is terrific advice. I will use that going forward. It's never a bad thing to take a strategic pause. For WCYB Digital Radio, I'm Melissa O'Leary, Partner and Chief Strategy Officer at Fortalist Solutions. Joining me today was a woman who fell victim to a crypto scam. For more of our media, visit our website at cybersecurityventures.com.